Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. You can find episode show notes, past episode archives, and listener discussions at our website, thenexttrack.com. And in between episodes, follow us on Twitter at NextTrackCast. I don't watch a whole lot of TV, and I particularly don't watch much live TV. But for the past few weeks, I've been watching a very popular series in the UK called Line of Duty. It's a cop show. It's about some anti-corruption cops. This is the fifth season or series, as they say in British English. And the first three seasons of this were really some of the best cop TV I'd seen in a long time. And then they started jumping a few sharks in the fourth season, and then the fifth season came on, and there were more sharks. There were a lot of sharks last night in the finale. But what really struck me as interesting is we always read about the demise of appointment TV, people watching TV when it's on live. But nearly 10 million people watch this show live in the UK. This is a country with a population, I think, of 65 million. Now, at the same time, Game of Thrones is on Sunday. We're recording this Monday, so we're talking about what was on Sunday night. Game of Thrones is on Monday in the US, and it gets about 10 or 11 million, a country with a population four to five times the size of the UK. But I just find it interesting that there are a couple of shows that are still attracting people to appointment TV. And I think one of the big reasons is because of spoilers, because... If you look at any British newspaper or news website, you will see headlines that basically lay out the the denouement of Line of Duty last night. Now, I don't really see that too much for Game of Thrones, but is it the spoilers that's driving people to watch TV live? Or are people just coming back to that old experience that they used to have when they were younger? Of course, some of them are too young to remember appointment right. TV. Well, I don't watch any of those shows. I don't watch Game of Thrones, and I... I, I don't watch a lot of television anymore. In fact, uh, I read recently where uh, a, a person tweeted about this, and this is the experience I have. They spend 45 minutes on Netflix looking for a TV show to watch, and then they go back and watch Arrested Development or an old Office episode because... Yeah, I call that the Netflix shuffle. Yeah, it's... it's Some, sometimes my partner and I want to watch a movie, and whether it's Netflix or Amazon Prime Video or the iTunes Store, we'll spend 45 minutes or an hour looking around and not finding anything to watch. Right, and then you settle on your comfort food. Or you don't watch anything because you spent an hour and you're starting to get tired already. Yeah, I've done that too. So I'm not I'm not big on, on television anymore, and I don't watch these shows, but I think these shows are, are exceptionally good. HBO spends millions and millions of dollars on Game of Thrones, and of course, the books themselves are quite good, and my, my wife has read them, you know, well, if you like that sort of thing. You made a little grimace there, but... Well, I, I read about two-thirds of the first book, and I just got bored, in part because every chapter changes the location. There are three or four or five locations, and it's hard to keep track of who's doing what, and it was too confusing. My partner's read them all, and she liked them. So That's one of the reasons I also don't watch shows like this, is because I have to invest in the characters and all of that stuff, and <clears throat> sometimes they're really not worthy of that. In fact, I'm trying to think of the last, like, episodic... Breaking Bad? I think uh, Better Call Saul was the, was the last, and Fargo are, are two TV shows that I watched that I liked a lot. Better Call Saul isn't over. There's going to be one more season, I think. I believe so, yeah. And I still haven't seen this past season, so I'm saving it up. Wow, you actually convinced me to watch it last year saying how good you thought it was. I had watched the first, maybe the entire first season, and what happens to me these days, if I watch a season of TV on Netflix or Amazon, I get to the end, and, and sometimes I'll binge it in, you know, four or five days a week, whatever, and then the next one comes along, and I just think, do I really want to do this again? 
And so that happened with Better Call Saul. And then I did rewatch it because you recommended it, and I've quite enjoyed it. But I totally forgot about it when you just mentioned it. And it's also the sort of thing that that didn't really take off with a huge number of people. So you didn't read about, oh, here's what happened. And you didn't see on the front of the Washington Post, here's what happened on Better Call Saul last night. Whereas this morning you're seeing, you know, the Game of Thrones recap. So it it speaks to the, the number of people who are paying attention to these shows. Well, is that also a change in the way the media has been approaching this in the past few years with major news outlets having recaps? I mean, I see this in The Guardian. There were three or four articles about Line of Duty this morning, and I think five years ago they weren't doing that. So I think they've realized that this gets a lot of clicks and that there were other sites getting these clicks and that they can do it just as well because they have their own TV critics. Appointment TV, I mean, there wasn't, at least until the advent of, oh, even cable, The Sopranos, I was there for it when they when they ran the first episodes. Seinfeld episodes. I remember at the time we were crazy about it. We were all looking forward to Thursday night because we couldn't wait to see what the new Seinfeld episode was going to be. I look at them now and I go, what the heck were we thinking? But, you know, that was the sort of appointment TV. And you could have uh, several shows during the week where you, you could count on a lot of people enjoying it. And when you went into work the next day, everybody was talking about it. You don't see it because now because it's so splintered, I'm sure. So it's really amazing that these shows do grab as, as much of an audience as they do. I always think that a show, for anything to be popular, it has to be dumbed down to the lowest common denominator. And I hate to say that about people like Adele or Game of Thrones or, or, or things like that where they are incredibly talented and it still have an appreciation uh, are still appreciated by lots of people at different strata of appreciation so it's... i wouldn't necessarily say that all these shows are dumbed down I, I don't think game of thrones is you need you you need a program to keep track of who all the players are something like 24 is dumbed down was dumbed down and i hope there's never another 24 season or movie again the x-files was dumbed down but in a in a humorous way there was always the humor in the x-files the fact that it wasn't taking itself seriously. Uh, you look at something like Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad was not dumbed down at all, uh, quite the opposite. And that was a series that took a few years to, to take off. On the other hand, Downton Abbey... That's what I'm getting at. It's like some of, these shows, some of these shows are just so good that despite the fact that they are not trivial, you know, 30-minute situation comedies, that they're expansive and, and have incredible story arcs, uh, the, the fact that these can, you know, generate so much, so much chatter and so much audience is, well, obviously shoots down my theory of being dumbed down. <laughs> well, so we've talked about fragmentation in music in the past, about more genres, more artists, fewer people listening to albums. And I think it's a similar thing when, I don't know, I'm going back to a, a period when there was a new Grateful Dead album, Bruce Springsteen album, Bob Dylan album, whatever. Obviously, it was in our demographic to know about this, but people did talk about it. In music, the only thing I hear about these days is, and I follow some things like the Rolling Stone, and you retweet stuff on Twitter, and I see a lot of music news, is when one of the top 10 stars, the A-plus listers, releases a record, sorry, drops an LP, and that's what I hear about. But I very rarely notice when the mid-list artists release something or you know, the second level, the the, the the 1% instead of the one-tenth of 1%. Well, I, you know, you, you want to take an example. Taylor Swift released a single last week. and Dropped a new track. I'm sorry, or dropped a video, I think, even, yeah. too. And everybody was talking about it. 
And I haven't even listened to it yet or heard it. I have nothing against Taylor Swift. I think, you know, it's good stuff when you hear it. It's good pop music. But it's the sort of thing where these top one percenters have a huge marketing machine behind them to, to generate a lot of buzz. Uh, not that people wouldn't find out about Taylor Swift releasing, dropping a single or an album eventually. But I mean, five seconds after it's out, people are, you know, millions of people already know about it. Yeah. So we're, we're coming up, I believe it's two weeks from the finale of Game of Thrones, the last episode ever, until they do a prequel, because I think they have a planned thing to carry on. And they're talking about 10 or 15 million in the U.S., but I'm sure you remember what the biggest TV experience in the U.S. ever was. Wasn't it the MASH finale? It was the MASH finale. 120 million people. Yeah, that's a lot. Can you imagine that? That was about half the population of the country. Get rid of the kids, and that's like two-thirds of adults were watching MASH that evening, a two-hour special. I remember that. That was a very bittersweet moment. It was it was the 256th episode of the series. That that's I kind of grew up with that through my teen years. It was 1983 was the finale, but I remember... When it started in 1972, I was 13 years old, and this was the period where, just after I went into high school, because it was September 1972, and it was just a thing that grabbed the consciousness because of the metaphors with the Vietnam War that was in such a bad state at the time. And this became a, a, a huge social event, along with shows like All in the Family and you know, a few other shows. Mary Tyler Moore, was it the Mary Tyler Moore show, the one where she was at the radio station? TV station, it was really popular. And it's true, people would talk about this with their friends, they'd talk about it at work. But the difference was, is if you didn't see it live, you couldn't see it again until, what, they did the reruns in the summer, right? Yeah, generally six months later, you wouldn't be able yeah. to see it again. That's kind of funny too. Of course, with the VCR changed that a little bit. But even so, in the 70s and the 80s, you, you saw the show once, so you had to be there. Nowadays, it doesn't make any difference. That's why it's like I haven't seen the last season of Better Call Saul. Well, I'm waiting for a waiting for a good opportunity in my life to sit down <laughs> and watch that show. Um, so it's it's a, the whole the whole way of actually viewing you know series television has changed completely. You mentioned about people taping it on uh, VCRs. I'm not sure I had figured out how to program my VCR <laughs> by 1983. I bought my father, the first thing I bought my father when I had my first full-time job was a VCR, and he couldn't believe that I bought him a VCR. And he videotaped everything and watched it again and again and again, which I thought was weird. But did he program it, or did he just start it when the thing came on? A smart guy. He, he figured out how to make it work. It actually had a tuner in it. Remember the old yeah. VCRs that actually had a tuner? You tuned through the local television. That was before cable. So you picked up over-the-air channels through the VCR. I remember there was a period in France where... I guess all the VCR manufacturers agreed on a system and you would put in like a six or eight digit code to program a specific show, date, time and all that. And, and the code had nothing to do with the channel or the date or the time. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing that uh, here in TV listings at the time. Sure. The problem was in France, in France, the evening news starts at eight o'clock and it ends when it ends. So whatever's coming on after it starts whenever it starts. So you had to leave a half an hour before and a half an hour after to make sure you catch anything. The news could end at like 840 or it could end at nine o'clock. And so whatever was due to come on next, whether well, it's a movie or a series. And this, of course, had a domino effect throughout the evening. So it was horrible. I didn't really tape a lot of stuff. That's a, it's interesting, though, that they didn't have a set time limit for the news. I kind of like that. It's like, well, whenever it's done, whenever we filled yeah. it up with the news. Yeah, that's, that's, that's about the only thing that they did like that in France. I'm pretty sure it's still the same. Daytime shows would have 
very fixed times and, and you know whatever was on before had to end for eight o'clock it had to be right at that strike of big ben or whatever clock that they used to to tell the time so yeah line of duty if you haven't watched it and you're in the uk well it's all about ted hastings and you should like check it out and i'm not going to be like overwhelmingly happy about it because it wasn't great game of thrones i gave up i watched a couple of seasons it's just too violent for me not interested in it anymore you know my wife doesn't watch it my wife refuses to watch it now because she doesn't think that the women are powerful enough that's her big gripe is that the whole the whole thing is run by men and it, it just disturbs her that much and she of course she's read the like i said she's read the books and she knows what they're about but she just prefer not to indulge with it anymore i think your wife and my partner would get along very well Although my partner is still watching them because she's read the books and because she kind of likes that fantasy universe. And I know your wife shares this, a lot of similar reading habits, but I don't know. It's just not for me. Anyway, one thing that I've noticed that's different is from the very beginning of the iTunes store, or at least when the iTunes store started selling video, I would find out about new TV shows on the iTunes store. And I don't even look anymore. I, I, I'm, I'm just not even that interested anymore. I've been so disappointed First of all, by a show you commit for a season and then it's canceled. Or a show like Lost, which, okay, I was watching it with my son. He's really into that kind of stuff. But after like the third season, it's like, seriously? I'm going to keep doing this over and over? And I kind of fall back on what comes up on Amazon and Netflix. And my new Netflix strategy is subscribe for a couple months, cancel my subscription for a couple months, because nothing changes that much. And then when something important comes on, re-up it for a month or two the bob dylan documentary that's coming out in june is going to get me to re-up my net netflix but i haven't looked at netflix for a while but a series comes on and i'll watch it but i really i'm not even looking for tv series anymore because being burned so many times by series that that it just go off the deep end or fade out or yeah. well it's like i said i'm afraid to make the investment because what do i what do I get? Am I going to get something good out of this? And a lot of times a series will just peter out at about three quarters of the way through it and no fun. But it's funny you mentioned iTunes. Um, that's how I would watch Mad Men. Uh, as soon as the newest Mad Men episode was finished, I downloaded onto an iPod, hooked the iPod up to my TV, and then watched the episode that way. Um, and which made me think, I don't use... Oh, I use the Movies app um, because that pulls together all of your... You know, it has your Netflix stuff and your Hulu stuff and your Amazon. The TV app. Yeah, the TV app. I'm sorry. It's not movies. TV app. Yeah. And that was pretty good for a little while because then it, it kept everything in one spot. So I like that. But still, it, I'm not going to download any uh, files from iTunes t to watch TV. I don't even. Do they still have that? Yeah, do they really still have that? They, they <laughs> still do that. They still sell season passes. And I remember I bought Downton Abbey. I bought all of Breaking Bad up until the last season, I think, in, in one big mega box. And I bought Downton Abbey up to the last season. This Because Downton Abbey was before I was in the UK. So I did watch a bunch of TV like that. Recently, was it $10 for, I got the complete Twilight Zone for $10. It was a mistake on the iTunes store. And I just happened to be flipping through the TV section for the first time in, in a year. And I saw this, maybe it was 20 or something in HD. And I had... I had bought the first season for $10 some years ago, and I love Twilight Zone. That's something you can always go back to. So I'm very happy with that. I'm up to about episode 25 or so 
in out of the 156. And how many seasons is that? I believe it's five or six seasons altogether. It's 156, and you know they had those longer seasons, but I think the third season were 52 minutes, and there were short. It was a shorter season, and then they went back to the 30 minute. But yeah, it's 156 episodes. Wow, it's pretty good for 10 bucks. It is. Or you could watch them all the, anytime you wanted on Netflix or whoever has it. Uh, they're not on Netflix here. We don't see. We don't have a lot of that stuff here. We don't have Hulu over here. Netflix doesn't have a series like that. Amazon doesn't either. So they, they're all paid. You'd have to pay to, to watch them, either buying. I don't think they rent TV series. I wish iTunes did that. If they rented TV episodes for a buck, I would do that. That's an interesting but three thing bucks why they to don't. buy one is just too much. It's interesting that they don't have TV rentals. That's kind of a yeah. strange thing. Why not? Sure, what it would dissipate after what twenty four hours or something. Well, it's forty eight hours now, but well, it's thirty days to watch and then forty eight hours once you started. Which you know we rent movies like that, but yeah, I've never. I, I only bought a couple of season passes for Studio sixty on the Sunset Strip. I remember buying the season pass for that. Because it, I was in France, it wasn't on in France, and I wanted to see it, you know, an Aaron Sorkin show. But for other things, it's t- TV is just, it's just there. All right. Well, I don't know what to tell you. I don't, just turn, kill your television set. Okay, well, let's, how about some next track? Sure. Okay, well, this morning, I went to iTunes, as I do a few times a week, and I looked at For You. We discussed this, I think, in a recent episode, how the For You presents these blocks of four albums or LPs and says... Okay, so since you're into Vangelis, here's something by Michael Stearns and David Parsons, never heard of them, and some classical music for today, and that's good. Since you listen to the Rolling Stones, they give me the Who, the Birds, Bruce Springsteen, and the band. Good, good choice. More like Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, and here's a record called Atlanta 12-String by Blind Willie McTell. Now, I know Blind Willie McTell. I've heard him. It's good blues. It's it's different than the, the standard blues that we know the mississippi blues with finger picking because he really doesn't do that he does some slide and bottleneck but he doesn't do that finger picking like gary davis who was one of your picks a while ago so we're going to do the 16 levels of separation here no it's actually just a couple levels of separation blind willie mctell naturally makes me think of the bob dylan song blind willie mctell which is it was an outtake for one of his records in the 1980s that he didn't want to put on the record it's probably the best song he wrote in the entire decade of the 1980s. And that made me say, you know what, I'm going to go back to a Dylan album. And there's a Dylan album called World Gone Wrong that Dylan released in 1993. And this was a follow-up to a record called Good As I Been To You from 1992. Both of these records were just Dylan and an acoustic guitar singing old blues and traditional songs and country songs. And there's a song by Blind Willie McTell on this record called Broke Down Engine, which is a, a very good song. But the Dylan record is really interesting. It is a contractual obligation album. In other words, he had to fulfill terms of a contract. And according to Wikipedia, he recorded 14 songs without a single change in guitar strings over a matter of days in his garage studio. It's, it's definitely a lo-fi recording. It doesn't sound like a studio recording, but it sounds so much more honest than a lot of the other recordings that people do make in studios. And th- these two records, it's, it's like he's going back to his roots of that first acoustic guitar-only album. And he does Jack O'Row, which is a fairly well-known um, traditional song. He does Stack Lee. He does Blood in My Eyes, which is one of his best songs from the 90s. He also does Delia, which is a version of a Blind Willie McTell song. So anyway, 
iTunes for you, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, Blind William McTell, Bob Dylan. That's the levels of separation. That's pretty good. I think with you, though, everything is like three to four degrees of separation to Bob Dylan. Well, all roads lead to Bob Dylan or the Grateful Dead. But what, what I find interesting is this relationship of Bob Dylan to this roots music. And while the Grateful Dead did all these Gary Davis songs, they did them their own way. And Dylan, while he's doing them his own way, he's just on an acoustic guitar and he's playing a lot of old songs. And his own songs that sound like these old songs. It's kind of like... It's kind of like Dylan must have had a time machine for a while there. And he went back and he met Robert Johnson at the crossroads. And then he came back into the future and he started recording this music. I found a fun record that uh, I'd never heard of before. And apparently this is one of a series of records. It's called Dub Side of the Moon, a reggae version of Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon by a, a group called the Easy Star All-Stars. Easy Star is a... Uh, a, a record label and, and obviously they produce reggae music and the band was originally put together to back some of the artists that they had on their early recordings but then they put out this dub side of the moon reggae version of dark side of the moon it's pretty interesting in fact um it is it it follows along so well that they give you the instructions to synchronize it with Wizard of Oz. You know, that's a thing that a lot of people do. They synchronize Dark Side of the Moon with Wizard of Oz, and it's supposed to be really cool. Well, apparently you can do that with this album, too. Now, if you don't know what dub music is, it's a sort of it's sort of like remixed reggae. It's called dub music because they, would use, they used to use tape recorders and dub music back and forth. And a lot of the times, one of the main effects of dub music is that they use the, the tape recorder's delay to create echo effects and things like that. The Clash have used it a lot, and um, a lot of reggae artists have done it. And, of course, it's a whole genre of, of reggae music. This is really kind of funny. At, at first, I thought it was going to be humorous, but it's not humorous. It's done in all seriousness. And the real challenge was, I thought, was to do money in 5-4 with a reggae beat, but they pull it off. It's really fun to listen to. And, um, you know, you keep, if you know the album as well as I do, you keep waiting for, okay, how are they going to handle this? The sax solos are almost note for note, things like that. They, it really makes you think that, you know, Pink Floyd authorized this. Now, the, the interesting thing about this particular album is that it spawned other dub albums that they made. They made one of, uh, of Radiohead's OK Computer, they did one for Michael Jackson's Thriller, and they did uh, Sgt. Pepper. I haven't listened to those. Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Dub Hearts Band. Up. That's right. So I'm looking forward to listening to those, but this one is just a blast to listen to. Uh, like I said, especially if you if you know pretty much the original album, note for note. It's it's quite clever, quite, quite well done. Dub Side of the Moon, a reggae version of Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. This was episode number 148 of The Next Track. Thank you very much for listening. Your comments are welcome. You can start or join a conversation on the episode show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you gave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you can't leave a review, recommend us to your family and friends. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.